Hello and welcome to Original Sound Chat, where video game music is a work of art. On each episode, it's our goal to help you learn about two soundtracks from the world of games, as well as the people, stories, and critical tracks behind them. My name is Peter Spasia, and we're brought to you by Anonymous Dinosaur and Rhymes with Asia. It's time to appreciate great OSTs as well as the games that they come from without getting too bogged down in music theory. It's a solo episode this week, and so the game I'll be talking about is the procedurally generated space exploration game that set industry standards for not only promising far too much before release, but also for turning a disastrous launch into an award-winning experience years later, 2016's No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky, finally time to talk about this one, one of the biggest comeback stories in all of games, to be honest, still making waves uh, to the point where I was going to talk about it a few weeks ago uh, when it launched on Nintendo Switch in early October, and then I had a whole bunch of things come up where I had to have Joe do a solo episode. And now, since we pushed so hard on Joe's voice to get last week recorded, uh, we're just going to give him some extra time to make sure that uh, his voice is all rested and recovered. We got through spooky season 2022. We're into November. And so it's time for a solo episode this week. So yeah, I was going to talk about No Man's Sky when we did the uh, Famicom Detective Club game uh, for that Joe talked about, The Girl Who Stands Behind. I don't know what we would have paired with that as far as like, what's what's the theme with that? No idea. So it's probably easier just to talk about No Man's Sky this week. What am I doing? What am I playing? I'm playing some more God of War before that launches a week from tomorrow. Uh, Ragnarok, God of War Ragnarok launching a week from tomorrow as of this episode's release. That's crazy. Uh, so I'm trying to get another playthrough of that done. Got to the big... Midpoint moment, I still love that. It's such a good moment. I thought it was the best game moment of 2018 at least, and uh, that's always good to revisit. Uh, But yeah, playing through that, I think I also have Kirby and the Forgotten Land coming in as a rental, so that'll be good to visit. Uh, Probably one of the better games I've, I've heard about this year, especially with its soundtrack as well, so that'll be good to experience at some point as well. November's going to be crazy. Pokemon's coming up too. That's going to be wild. Scarlet and Violet. Um, I think I'm going to get Violet and the fiance will play uh, Scarlet and we'll, we still got to pick uh, which starters we're going to do though. That's, that's a tough one. It's not so clear cut this year as it may have been uh, with, you know, generations past. So, well, not too much on the composer follow-up news front. We'll get to that when Joe comes back next week. So let's talk about No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky was released on August 9th, 2016 in North America for PlayStation 4, with Europe getting the game the next day. A PC version launched worldwide a couple days after that on August 12th, 2016. Since then, the game has slow rolled out to just about every other platform. The Xbox One got the game with the No Man's Sky Next update in July 2018. PC and PlayStation VR platforms got the game in August 2019 with the game's Beyond update. Of course, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X and S got the Next Generation update. That makes sense. And that was also in November 2020 when those 
systems launched, and most recently, Nintendo Switch got No Man's Sky on October 7th, 2022, just earlier, about a month ago or so, with the Waypoint update, version 4.0. The game is developed by Hello Games, and it was published by Sony Interactive Entertainment for the initial PlayStation 4 launch, but then Hello Games themselves took care of the publishing for every other port and update after that. No Man's Sky is a first-person action-adventure survival game. I believe it eventually got updated to include an optional third-person camera, but the game itself is built around five pillars. There's exploration, survival, combat, trading, and base building. And it all takes place in space with a procedurally generated deterministic open world universe. Players are able to perform any of these, you know, variety of actions in these five pillars. But the idea is this universe is made up of over 18 quintillion planets. That's what happens when you take two to the 64th power. It ends up being 1.8 times 10 to the 19th. And uh, that's a lot of planets because these planets in this procedural generation system have their own randomly generated ecosystems with unique forms of flora and fauna. Various alien species may engage the player in either combat or trade within these planetary systems. And players advance in the game by mining for resources on these planets to power and improve their equipment. They buy and sell resources using credits earned by documenting the flora and fauna on these worlds. You can build planetary bases, you can expand your space fleets, and you can also follow the game's overarching plot, which encourages exploration on new planets deeper into the universe. What is the plot of No Man's Sky? It's pretty loosely organized from what I can tell, but there is something there, especially as the game has been updated over the years. So the Traveler, which is the name for the player character, wakes up on a remote planet with amnesia and must locate their crashed starship. After finding their starship, its computer guides the Traveler to make the necessary repairs and to collect the resources needed to fuel a hyperspace jump to another planetary system. En route, the Traveler encounters individual members of three alien species, the Gek, the Corvax, and the Viking, that inhabit the galaxy. During their voyage, the Traveler is compelled by an unknown force to reach the center of the galaxy. So the big question here, what is at the center of the galaxy, and what will the Traveler discover along the way there? This is where I would ask Joe, Joe, what are your experiences with No Man's Sky? But since he's not here, it's on me to uh, discuss that. What are my experiences with the game? Like many other people, I was taken with the possibility of what No Man's Sky could be in the mid-2010s as it was being shown at different video game events and trade shows and things like that. And Wow, Sean Murray sure has a lot of promises with Hello Games there. It, it seems really interesting, but can they live up to the hype? And then it's one of those stories throughout games where 
oh, when people discover what the gameplay actually is and what's really involved, especially with the comparatively few number of people that were working on this game, it was an, an aspirational game for sure. But when you really get down to it, in, you know, following the popularity of Minecraft, it's like, oh, so it's just mining for materials on the world to repair and go on expeditions and oh, discover the, the creatures. But then, oh, you just have to get off the world and you kind of rinse and repeat. And obviously that's not exactly what it is now. Like they've expanded and you have more possibilities with, you know, base building and ship fleet construction. You can really do whatever you want, I think, at that point. But at its launch, like it was a pretty simplistic game premise. And so I still bought the game on PC at launch and tried it for about an hour and a half. Kind of enjoyed what I played of it but didn't feel myself compelled to go back. Like I got to that first space station and I was like, all right, I, I did it. Now what? I'm, I'm not too sure. So there was the whole thing at the time where it was like, ah, if you only played less than two hours, you can refund, you know, the game. You can, you can get your money back because the launch was so disastrous in that regard. People were threatening action, you know, uh, you you didn't live up to your end of the bargain on what you promised me, what you advertised. I didn't take advantage of that. And honestly, as all of these updates have rolled out, granted, I, I uninstalled the game <laughs> well long ago, but I didn't you know get my money back. And so it's just been sitting in my Steam library and I haven't revisited the game since. So it's a bit of a, a complicated relationship when it's like I, I have the game, but I know it from such an infantile state what should have been considered an early access point right but i do remember being engrossed in the music and listening to one of the tracks on the soundtrack in particular and so i'm like well i know this game has a great soundtrack and it's one to talk about on this show eventually it was just a matter of you know finding the right point to do so and so you know a launch on switch made sense and then things happen so here we are talking about it now about a month later after that point i think it's interesting as i was looking into this game and learning more about it there were a lot of points that i had remembered but also still some things to learn like i don't know it's a maybe it's a miles tales prower moment for me but uh after kind of reading into the idea of well there's the idea of no man's land like a, a kind of empty space and war and all that kind of between the the two encampments. Oh, oh, that's where no man's sky comes from. Like, yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. I don't know why I never put it together. So that's kind of the idea there. But when we talk about the development of no man's sky, it of course involves hello games. And we have to talk about what hello games worked on before no man's sky See, they worked on a series of games called Joe Danger, and the Joe Danger games were side-scrolling platformer racers that involved controlling the eponymous Daredevil and navigating time-limited courses and trying to complete enough objectives to continue to further rounds. There was this light-hearted take on it. There was an emphasis on stunts and maintaining speed. And so when you go from, like... I don't know, a fun kind of excite bike sort of thing, like a side scrolling there. And then you try to imagine, oh, we're going to do this big open world that is procedurally generated and it's going to be massive and almost unlimited in scope. 
That's a huge, huge leap. So the original prototype was worked on by Hello Games' Sean Murray, who would become the face of development and promoting the game. And he wanted to create a game about the spirit of exploration, which was inspired by the optimistic science fiction of Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, and Robert Heinlein, and the cover artwork of these works in the 1970s and 1980s. Murray also wanted to recreate the feelings of space exploration seen in older procedurally generated games, including the galaxies of Star Control 2, Elite, and Free Space. The game's engine deploys several deterministic algorithms, such as parameterized mathematical equations that can mimic a wide range of geometry and structure found in nature. There are also art elements that were created by human artists that were used and altered as well. Four people worked on the project leading up to its reveal at the VGX Awards in December 2013. And this would eventually expand to about a dozen people working on the game by the time the game launched in 2016. So really an indie game effort that got a lot of attention. The gaming press was all over this No Man's Sky teaser concept. And, you know, they see it at this VGX Awards reveal. And Hello Games wanted to use it to get help from a publisher and, you know, get more promotional interest that way. And so they got the interest of Sony Interactive Entertainment, who at the time was Sony Computer Entertainment. Sony offered to provide development funding, but Hello Games only requested financial assistance for promotion and publication. My best guess is they wanted to keep a sense of creative control. And once you get a publisher putting money into your project, they may have a sense of wanting a little more say in what goes on into the game. And maybe Hello Games didn't want to uh, give that over. So as a result, Sony presented No Man's Sky at their media event during E3 2014. The Wikipedia article for the game says that until that point, no independently developed game had been demonstrated during these center stage events. I don't know how true that is, but you know, if there was one that really caught the attention of everyone, I, I, I guess No Man's Sky makes sense. That's just quite a claim to put out there, and I, I don't know how to back that up. It was a game show darling, though, as Sean Murray continued to build up the hype and the scope of the game and what you'd be able to do, promotion even made its way to the American talk show, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert in October 2015. And I certainly remember seeing that there and be like, wow, video games making it on a, a late night talk show. That's, that's something. A couple of weeks later, a release month of June 2016 was announced at the Paris Games Week event. Leading up to the release of the game, there were lots of concerns. There was an uncertainty about being able to back up these grand scope claims. There was a late release date delay to August that involved death threats to Jason Schreier, the journalist who was reporting these things. There were legal negotiations with the British media conglomerate Sky Group over the trademark on the word Sky. It's a little questionable. I know they've got Sky Sports, but that doesn't mean you have a trademark on a word. Wh whatever. 
There were questions about the mathematical formula that was used for the game and if it was previously patented. And then leaked copies and broken street dates happened for the game and it showed the true nature of what No Man's Sky is. As a result, No Man's Sky did not review well at launch with a Metacritic average of 71 on PS4 and 61 on PC. In addition to there being issues getting properly patched versions of the game to critics in time for launch, reviewers praised the technical achievements of the procedurally generated universe, while others considered the gameplay to be lackluster and repetitive. On the whole, the critical response was marred by the lack of several features that had been reported to be in the game, and these were particularly the multiplayer capabilities. Beyond the initial reception, Hello Games' lack of communication in the months following the launch created a hostile backlash from some of its players. Murray would later state that Hello Games had failed to control hype around the game and the larger-than-expected player count at launch. Yeah, no kidding there. So the team ended up taking an approach of remaining quiet about updates to the game until they were ready to ship. And boy... Have there been updates to this game? As of this episode's recording, the game has received at least 31 major updates that are free. Uh, We'd be here a very long time if we broke each one of these down. But overall, these updates added several previously missing features, such as multiplayer components, while adding new features like creative and survival modes, expansions to the narrative, surface vehicles, base building, space fleet management, cross-platform play, and virtual reality support. All of this has substantially improved No Man's Sky's overall reception, and it's considered that it's redeemed both the game and Hello Games from the original troublesome launch. According to the product description of the recent Nintendo Switch port, over 10 million units of No Man's Sky have been sold. So, still a commercially successful game, that's that's for sure. It might not surprise you that No Man's Sky was not really considered for any awards in its launch year, though it was nominated for British Game at the BAFTAs. I overcooked one for that year, if you're curious. However, as games have started to have longer post-launch life thanks to updates, No Man's Sky was recognized for this. It's been nominated for and it's won a smattering of best ongoing game type of awards from 2018 onward, and even one evolving game at the most recent BAFTAs. It was also nominated for best VR slash AR game at the 2019 Game Awards, though it lost to Beat Saber. The discrepancy between No Man's Sky's expectations and its initially released product are considered a milestone in video game promotion, with many sources considering how to properly promote a game in a post-No Man's Sky world. So honestly, that's probably its biggest legacy. Following No Man's Sky's problematic release, developers appear to be keeping their cards close to their chests, for fear of failing to deliver on a promise that never should have been slipped out in the first place. Uh, So, kind of learning lessons from what happened with No Man's Sky. Meanwhile, No Man's Sky keeps iterating on itself with update after update, considering itself a live service game with no sequel even remotely considered yet. 
Even earlier this year, future ports of the game were announced for PlayStation VR 2, Mac OS, and iPad OS, but no specific release dates have been announced for those yet, so the game is still coming to even more platforms. The composer that we'll talk about for this game is the band that worked on music for No Man's Sky, and that would be 65 Days of Static. All one word, 65 Days of Static, all lowercase letters there, no spaces. They are an electronic music post-rock band from Sheffield, England. They were formed in 2001, and the band is composed of instrumentalists Paul Walensky, Joe Shrewsbury, Rob Jones, and Simon Wright. The band's music has been described as noisy, electronic, guitar-driven instrumentals interspersed with live drums and offbeat sample drums akin to those of IDM artists. And that's an acronym I had never heard of before, but it stands for Intelligent Dance Music. Though they have continued to evolve their sound by incorporating electronic music, drum and bass, and glitch music. They have also been described as, quote, a soundtrack to a new dimension where rock, dance, and electronica are equals. The origin of the name 65 Days of Static is unclear, with the band once stating that they took their name from an unreleased John Carpenter film called Stealth Bomber, starring Kurt Russell, that they had formed to create the soundtrack to. However, the lack of any further information regarding the film's existence makes this unlikely. There's also the British magazine New Statesman that speculates that the name was derived from psychological experiments conducted in the 1950s to 1960s, in which it was found that exposure to 65 days of white noise, or static, would render the listener insane. Their first album was released in 2004, and then 10 years and 5 albums later, they were asked to provide, like everything else in No Man's Sky, a procedurally generated soundtrack for the game. Though this was not their first soundtrack, the group also produced the music for their 2011 take on rescoring the 1972 film Silent Running. I guess fans of the band are known as 65 Kids? And you can follow the band on Twitter at 65DOS. The albums that they have released as a band as 65 Days of Static include The Fall of Math from 2004, One Time for All Time from 2005, The Destruction of Small Ideas from 2007, We Were Exploding Anyway from 2010, Wild Light from 2013, and Replica 2019 from 2019. The soundtracks that they have worked on include that 2011 take on the film Silent Running, and, of course, No Man's Sky, but seemingly it's the only video game that they've worked on. So why was this band picked to work on this game? Well, Sean Murray said numerous times that the sounds of 65 Days of Static helped inspire the game to begin with. It's the game creator's favorite band. And so when he and the band met for the first time to discuss a possible soundtrack... Both sides came to the meeting ready to convince the other that 65 Days of Static should be the band that's selected. Paul Walensky of 65 said, quote, It was a really easy meeting. We just agreed to do it in the first five minutes and then talked about sci-fi for a bit. So 
How was this all done? Well, the various tracks are sampled and procedurally combined during gameplay. Yet there are tracks that play at key emotional moments. Sean Murray cites the use of Jose Gonzalez's Far Away at a poignant moment in Red Dead Redemption as an inspiration for this choice. It's interesting to see moments like that kind of come back and kind of not only do we reflect on like, oh yeah, that, that's a great, powerful moment, but people in the game industry also recognize that moment and kind of point to the importance of playing key tracks at certain important moments, whether or not they have vocals. I was even thinking recently of how uh, Horizon Forbidden West this year did a similar sort of thing where I thought very similar far away vibes, similar Red Dead Redemption vibes there. So just very interesting there. An album called No Man's Sky, Music for an Infinite Universe, was released by 65 Days of Static as the soundtrack for the game, and it was released in conjunction with the game. It contains 10 tracks that are combined and kind of made as the optimal versions uh, with a lot of the music cues kind of pulled together, because that's the thing. If you have a procedurally generated soundtrack, you have to specifically craft you know, certain tracks to then go on the soundtrack, and I guess that's what these 10 tracks are. There are also six soundscapes that are created from the recorded material as well on this soundtrack. So what does the music sound like? From 65 Days of Static for No Man's Sky. Let's get to the five critical tracks for the game. And we start with this first one. It's called Supermoon. This track is what I would say is probably the most popular from the game. It's the track that stands out on the soundtrack overall. And it's interesting to kind of pick up on where fans think they remember the song playing because, again, like when you have the procedural generation, it's kind of tough to remember exactly where. Uh, but fans seem to think that it's usually heard at the end of an expedition or also when discovering a new galaxy in the universe. I think it helps this track be recognized as the best known because it was used in several of the pre-release trailers, especially at the beginning of the piece. There's this this little drum fill that is pretty reminiscent of like action picking up or like your ship lifting off the planet, and it's, it's very emblematic of how the game was presented to the public. This song was also performed live by 65 Days of Static at the Game Awards 2014. In the clip here, you get this drum beat that's driving the action through most of the piece, and it's continuing from the beginning, but you really hear it here in the clip as guitars and piano really start out and continue the melody in this clip, but then lead to a vocal section, and that just sounds... So nice and so ethereal. And then it's all the more impressive when those drums that have been driving the piece just drop out and you're kind of left with the rest of the instruments. And it's almost like you're you're floating in a way and you're just kind of experiencing 
uh, the planet, the universe, the galaxy. Uh, it's, it sounds really cool. And I can totally see why uh, this piece would be highlighted as the one that fans point to as the best on the soundtrack. But for my favorite, though, and the one that I heard for the first time and like, yep, this is this is what the soundtrack means to me and my favorite piece. That'll be number two here on the Critical Five. And this one is Asimov. This piece is usually heard when you're docking at your first space station after leaving the first planet. So to me, that kind of lines up with what my experience with the game was, kind of where I stopped playing at that initial launch play session. And so, yeah, this song is my favorite. It's what turned me on to this soundtrack and made me understand, like, what's what's the sound of no man's sky and what 65 days of static brings to the game. It's essentially the climax of the piece here with like the full soundscape going as you can hear, like everything really going. I mean, guitars, the, the synth bass, the, the percussion going in the background, it just sounds massive and heavy, but it is so difficult to pick 30 seconds because the whole six minute piece is just uh, remarkable and has this, the slow build and, uh, this part here, in particular with the clip, like there's a big drop that you know comes out of nowhere and just hits you with the power of the piece. Really, really cool. So yeah, a big swell after what's a slow burn, and it's just lots of guitar here with varying degrees of distortion. I wish I could put the whole piece here. It's it's what really stands out to me as yes, this is No Man's Sky. This is what I remember of No Man's Sky, and it's one that absolutely had to be here for me. As we continue to number three on the Critical Five, things get a little more difficult as I go through, granted, you know, the 10 tracks or whatever here, like how, how to pick which one. But one that stood out to me was Heliosphere. Not everything can be epic all the time in a game where like, you're just mining resources and you're exploring a planet to look at flora and fauna. So not everything can be like, oh yes, you're escaping the atmosphere in your ship. From what I can tell, though it's not very clear, uh, this music may play at the end of a mission. And I was struck by this because it's just this gentle beauty here. You hear at the beginning of the clip that there's this soft piano that eventually transitions into a kind of plotting pace that adds drums and guitar, but it's just very different from the other tracks that we've heard so far. 
And yet there is a wonder here. Uh, It's kind of appreciating the beauty of the procedurally generated world. And I also like that there's a flat note that gets introduced in the the melodic line here that you hear in the clip. There's like a couple, like one note that stands out in a couple parts that you're just like, oh, that that sounds strange. And it adds this minor feel because it's not really belonging in the major scale there. So it's, it's just an odd temporary feel that kind of makes you feel like, yeah, there's, there's beauty in the world, but there's still also some danger. And I, I, that really struck me and I really appreciated how different it was, but that also that kind of darker twinge to it. Another track that really stood out on the soundtrack is number four here on the critical five for no man's sky. And it just kind of goes and goes and goes. This one is called red parallax. Fans in the YouTube comments seem to think this track plays as a battle track on some planets when you have to defend yourself from the creatures that exist, whether they're, you know, native creatures to the world or other aliens there. And while the previous piece with Heliosphere has this nice, gentle plotting pace to it, this is like on the other end of the spectrum. It's almost like speed rock, right? The tempo is so fast here. And at this part in the clip in particular, you get these screaming guitars. It's going full bore. And then the crazy drum fill, just leads into this part where you have synths added on top to it. It is frenetic. It is nonstop. I really enjoyed coming across this track and just hearing how you know extra it was. Uh, speed rock, I think, is a good way to describe it. Uh, battle track would make some sense. Although I wonder if it plays in like space combat as well, because I can imagine it more as like the stars are whipping past you, so to speak, as opposed to uh, you're on the ground in a way trying to survive. And a nice piece that I think wraps up the Critical Five well for No Man's Sky. This one here is End of the World Sun. I believe this is more combat music, if the YouTube comments are right about that. Again, it's difficult when these don't all play at specifically cued moments, and it's uh, kind of just the best music clips and cues pulled together for a track for the soundtrack. It's You're not going to remember specific moments. It's just not what this soundtrack is. But I like it in particular, while it sounds similar to some of the other tracks, like Supermoon and Asimov, 
I feel like this has a bit more of like a finality to it as it is the last track on the album, at least before the soundscape tracks play. To me, I interpret it as it's almost like 65 Days of Static's way of saying goodbye to the universe that they helped create. And it's like throwing the kitchen sink in. Like you've got all all the instruments going here with the drums, with all of the guitars, with the bass and the synths and really everything. Like this is, again, a, a really emblematic, perfect depiction of what the sound is like in No Man's Sky. But at, it's a way of wrapping up the soundtrack experience. And I, that struck me with you know, the title and the finality of it. For the cutting room floor, I have a couple other tracks to highlight that struck me in different ways as well. The first of these is the first track that's on the album, and this one is called Monolith. Not exactly sure where this one plays, but I'm going to guess it's pretty early on in the experience if it's the first track of the Music for an Infinite Universe album. Overall, it's a pretty dark and mysterious piece, and this part of the clip in particular, you can tell why I highlighted it, because it's so different compared to everything else, and I'm surprised that the album starts out this way. It's a really cool drum and bass drop that's almost dubstep-like after you get these fluttery synths at the beginning, and then you bring in more synths for some more melodic chords in there. Uh, it just struck me as being very different. Uh, I wanted to at least highlight it here on the cutting room floor because this soundtrack would yield way to Supermoon and Asimov being next. And like, that's more of the No Man's Sky sound, but uh, it's also neat to hear something rather different. And that would be this here with Monolith. The other one here on the cutting room floor for me struck me in another kind of way, and this one is called Escape Velocity. According to commenters, this may play at moments in the main plotline, the main narrative of the game, uh, where you as the traveler interact with things called Atlas Interfaces. So, hmm, that's, that's really interesting. Overall, at the start of this piece, there's this gentle, hopeful piano. And then the clip here in particular introduces this element of a deep, distorted bass. Like, there's a lot of static here i pick up on it as maybe it's meant to represent like the vastness of the universe here and it just makes you feel overwhelmed by how small you are in the grand plan of the universe um this has a lot of vibes of almost sounding like fez for me i pick up a lot of a uh, disaster piece vibes on this one especially with how kind of staticky it sounds, and also just all the synths uh, coming in. Really cool here, and just gives you a different feel and texture on this soundtrack. 
But what will I never forget about the game? It is hard to forget No Man's Sky and its impact on the game industry and how games are advertised and not wanting to promise too much. Not only for having a disastrous, disappointing launch, but how over the course of these six years it has developed and turned into a an award-winning, respectable, and honestly, really impressive experience. I've always heard good things about how No Man's Sky has bounced back. I have wanted to try to play the game again. I was actually... Uh, hearing my fiance talk about how someone was telling her about a, a space exploration game on Switch. And this is literally right before I'm recording. I'm like, do you happen to remember if it's called No Man's Sky? And it was someone telling her about No Man's Sky right before I'm recording this episode. So I think that's just remarkable how this game still has staying power uh, despite its tumultuous history. And yet I always think of the track Asimov and like it's a, a big zen out kind of album that you can just relax and listen to i wish i can play more to experience like how you get a procedurally generated soundtrack and how that pays off in certain ways because uh, for those that do play no man's sky and have continued to play no man's sky the music is a very big part of that and how you make the experience your own and i think that just about does it for this solo episode here on original sound chat you can find me on twitter at pete speakeasy my other co-host joe is over on twitter at string pixel the video version of the show is on the rhymes with asia youtube channel but it's that mp3 podcast version that you want and that's hosted by anonymous dinosaur at anondino.squarespace.com that's where joe's other podcast smasher pieces is hosted and you can find original sound chat and smasher pieces wherever you get your podcast podcatchers all around the globe apple Podcasts, google podcasts even on spotify where we have a feed of podcast episodes there but we also have a spotify playlist where if we talk about a track from a video game on this show and it's on spotify it gets added to this monster playlist no man's sky is on spotify this soundtrack is on spotify so these tracks will be added to the big spotify playlist a good addition there for sure and when you're done listening, you can find the show on social media at SoundChatOST. You can leave some feedback for us. How are we doing with these episodes? Also, suggestions for games to cover. Wanted to once again thank you for your help contributing to our Best of 2010s episode. Episode 200 is coming up in a few weeks. And I'd like to announce that we have created our top 10 list based on that. The episode is ready for recording. So we'll have that ready for you around the American Thanksgiving time. So, I mean, if this is episode 197, you know, we've only got a few more until 200. So what will be the top 10 best game soundtracks of the 2010s decade? Oh, you'll want to tune into that one for sure. Who are we talking about next week on the show? Well, Joe will be talking about Matis Folkestad, and I'll be talking about Einar Selvik. I'm looking forward to talking about that one for sure. I'll have lots to say on that game in particular. But for now, let's play us out. And we usually like to highlight a fan cover, a fan remix, whether it's on YouTube, OC Remix, wherever. Uh, generally based on a track from the game that we've already covered. And so I feel like Super Moon would have been the best call, even though I like Asimov so much. 
Uh, Supermoon would have been the one to get the most covers for sure. And a band called Johari, J-O-H-A-R-I, they're on YouTube, and they had a cover of Supermoon from No Man's Sky. And it sounds really good. Neat to hear their take on the live performances that, you know, 65 Days of Static likes to do live performances as well, obviously, as we noted from the Game Awards. But uh, their take with their instruments here. So Johari's take on Supermoon here. Thank you so much for listening this week on Original Sound Chat. We'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>